So what do you think happens more? Do you think people people fire Siri by mistake or they they open uh, iTunes by mistake? <laughs> Which one happens more? People have enough to complain about with Apple these days. Don't give them any more ammunition. I'm still an Apple fanboy. I know people hate. I, I'm I'm gonna get roasted for this, but I I haven't had a problem with the keyboard, and I like the keyboard. <laughs> wow. Thanks for costing us our entire audience. Yeah, unsubscribed. <laughs> I uh, I had to get files off my old uh, my old my 2015 MacBook, the Retina MacBook, um, and I opened it up and I started typing on it, and it felt like I was using a typewriter. <laughs> the keys were like just so big, and there's so much space. In the older model, there's so much space in between, between the, the keys. keys. You can put your fingers in between the yeah. keys and like let them rest there. <laughs> yeah. People are literally gonna, they're gonna like try to DDoS our site. Don't worry, when Because of this. They just hit reload four times and... <laughs> fast boot crashes. Fast, yeah, exactly. There we go. When, um, when my keyboard does break, when I have this, the butterfly, the butterfly key problem, because that's what it is. They're, the keys are just like this, where the old keys were. Okay. I think that's what it is. It's okay. just... This is me trying to explain keyboards with fingers. And they stick? They Yeah, I think it's easier to break. When I, I, oh, I'm break. sure I will have the problem. And when I do, don't worry. You'll complain. I'll complain, yeah. <laughs> I wonder also, we use external keyboards a lot. So that, that is true. a yeah. big part of it. Because yeah. some of these people on Twitter who are just railing against it are like, first of all, they're like 16-year-old kids doing OSS with their MacBooks like 23 hours a day and they're just like banging away at that thing who knows what they're doing there so maybe they weren't made for that but no i do like the computer i liked my small version i started out with a with the 13 inch and absolutely loved it never owned a 13 inch macbook and the form factor was amazing it was so thin i didn't even know it was my backpack That's which amazing. is huge walking around new york city because it's just like any little any extra pound or two especially in the summer on the subway is just like crazy makes a difference and that thing was awesome but unfortunately the 13 inch ones still don't have a graphics card they have an on they have an internal onboard graphics card so it wasn't powerful enough once it was hooked up to like an external display but the 15 inch is pretty good they make the external gpus now so that would be interesting yeah you know i heard i heard this was on like hacker news or mac rumors but the them doing the external gpus was like people were saying, well, this is like an early version of them having um, a monitor with an external GPU. Like the only reason that Apple would invest in these external GPUs is is because they're gonna start building products with external GPUs. Oh, really? That that was a rumor. I, I like looked. It was like, I think it was Mac rumors or Hacker News, but everyone was like, "Yep, this is why." Like the fact that they're building these external GPUs, like into the like it's like OS level support right. for external GPUs, right? And when Mac does stuff like when Apple does stuff like that, it usually is because there's a future product. Yeah, there's going to be a future product with a built-in built-in external GPU. So imagine like a like a five K display. display. Well, that's the thing is, if you first hear that, you might like that doesn't make sense because um, why should the monitor be responsible for the the computing power or the graphics power? Like it's a dumb terminal that a, a powerful thing should drive. Like my powerful computer should just be able to output to any monitor, but the 5K does take a lot to drive. Yep. So it makes sense actually to couple the, the powerful hardware with it because then you could plug in a lot of different computers and drive it. Because that, that is where the 13-inch struggled. So if, if Apple does come out with a 
a monitor with a, a GPU inside of it, um, will you buy that and then go back to the 13 inch? Of course I would. Yeah. Do. <laughs> it's like $12,000 later. Yeah. And also if you pay for half of it, then yeah. <laughs> it's the beauty of having a business partner, right? <laughs> we should bring in more business partners. <laughs> Your financial irresponsible decisions get spread out. You get to socialize the costs. Nice. <laughs> so we were we were hacking on some broccoli last week. Yeah. We made a new broccoli video for the site, and we were also trying to do some open source on Friday, um, trying to work our way through Mirage issues. You know, because there's kind of a game plan there. Fix some of the bugs and ship a 1.0. And um, one of the big there's a couple big features that that would let us work on. But we were starting working on the uh, the Express integration, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, super exciting. It was fun working on it too because well, we got to do some refactoring of some parts of the code. Um, we should we should explain what what this is and what this unlocks. Right. So. So this is a couple things. It's funny how many things are overlapping here, but just off the top of my head, the first thing is when you develop with Mirage, you get local console.logs. And so that's for your network requests. Whereas an Ember app, if you're developing against an actual like a Rails server or like a you know external API, you would see them in your network tab in your Chrome DevTools. Yeah, this is this is because Mirage um, basically monkey patches. XML HTTP requests. So, so when you make a request in Mirage, you never actually leave the browser. Just before it gets there, Pretender spits back the response. So right. it never, never, never makes a, a network request. Yeah. So obviously that's part of the benefit of it. The whole point is that it can run your app in like an isolated environment, good for testing. That's why Pretender was created originally. But since Mirage has become a tool for like a development workflow as well, you know, using the network tab in Chrome DevTools is a core part of a normal developer's workflow. So the fact that you don't get that when you're using Mirage sucks. So one way to solve this would be to use the Express server, the Node Express server that comes bundled with Ember CLI and run your Mirage code in that. So then the next question is, how do you do that? So how do you do that? How do you run the Mirage code in Ember CLI? Right. Well, okay. What I learned last week was... <laughs> well, there's a bunch of different ways you could go about this. So someone had an open um, PR that basically added Fastboot as a dependency of Mirage for the purpose of running your Ember app that uses Mirage with like window pretender to run it in a Fastboot environment in order to have the Mirage server running and responding to network requests somehow. So, so the idea here is you would still run your Ember app on the client, but when it makes network requests, it'd be going to like a fast boot instance inside of an of, Ember app on the server. On the side of the server, and that thing would, would generate the Mirage response. Yeah, and I think maybe, I don't actually think it was, it might have just been using fast boot to kind of wire up the Ember app with the Ember dependencies because, you know, if you have an Ember app that can run Mirage, then you know what you need to run Mirage. And I think it was doing that in the server so that you could get at the Mirage code and node stuff kind of in node, but like fast boot was what was wiring everything together. 
Okay. Because there are some parts of Mirage that use Ember code. And that was things like string helpers from Ember, inflections from Ember, a couple other things. Now, Mirage from the beginning was developed to be um, ignorant of the fact that it was serving requests to a, an Ember app. And so, like, when I first started Mirage, I decided to make just the object model, not use ember.object, you know, even though you don't call dot .extend, you don't, you're not extending Ember objects, you don't have super and constructor and all that stuff, which at the time meant we are just copying like backbones extend module. Again, a goal would be to have it use ES6 classes these days, but that way you can just new up a Mirage server anywhere. But there's a few places where kind of Ember just happened to sneak in, you know, over the years. And so I think that's what he was using Fastboot for. But at a high level, the idea is get it wired up the way it's wired up in an Ember app, and then you could instantiate it within the Express the server side. Now, Ember CLI comes with, you know, it's running Node when it's building and serving your app, but it also has an Express server wired up. And so Express is like this low-level kind of routing layer. It's a server layer for Node. And you can define routes, just like in Mirage, you can define like route handlers and responses. And so one of our approaches, one of the ideas is, you know, if you were, your Mirage config has a this.get to users, you go to express and do this.get to users, and then you just kind of somehow copy the logic. You somehow take the logic from the Mirage route handler and invoke that route handler function from express. Um, so you would read the route handler config from Mirage and somehow kind of reset those routes up in Express, like route for route. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would require, like, and that requires the Mirage server to be instantiated with like its fake database and like its model layer and all that stuff. So you could read all that stuff. So um, that's kind of one route. Now I think where we're going to end up is instead of just copying route for route, just having something like a middleware layer in the Express stack that says every request is going to go through like the Mirage middleware middleware layer and that's going to ask Mirage we can add an API to Mirage that says simulate a get request to slash users it's like asking the servers like like let's say you new up a Mirage server with all of the config then you can you can call like simulate request on it just on the object and then give it a route and a verb, HTTP verb, and then you can say it'll either respond with a response, let's say, or it'll be like undefined or thrown error if it doesn't have something defined. And that way, like the request could be handled by Mirage, or if not, like if it's passed through, it could just keep going or something like that. So that's kind of inverting the API, whereas instead of like defining a route in Express, that matches route for route. So you're defining all these routes in Express. You just have like one part of the middleware stack when the request comes in, it just goes through the Mirage layer and then maybe Mirage handles it. And then in which case it responds with the data or it just goes on to like other layers, like nice. proxies and stuff like that. Cool. So I think, and the, the cool thing about this is if we add this kind of server.handle request or server.simulate request or something like that API, that just takes a verb in the path and a request body, let's say. Um, if we add that API to Mirage, now you really do have a lot more flexibility because right now, you know, you define a route like this.getUsers for Mirage and like what's gonna happen, I mean, it's very opaque. Like that's your that's your API to Mirage. You, you put that 
that route handler in a file. And then anytime there's an X, you know, an XML request, it's going to get handled. But like, again, it, this is a problem with fetch, like fetch mocking doesn't work because all of that is assumed. The XML HTTP request is assumed. What if we wanted to use Mirage and Express? What if we want to use Mirage and a service worker? So using Mirage and a service worker actually gets you some of the benefits of both where you have it, you're running your whole Ember app with its fake server in a single client environment. You don't need a server running. So you could put that as a demo, as a static app somewhere. You could put it in, run it in a test, but you would get um, the network requests because if you get network requests that go from your browser, your current domain, to a service worker, it's actually crossing that boundary and the browser treats it as an external network request. So if we had this handle request API in Mirage, you could call that anywhere. Anywhere you have an, an instance of a Mirage server, you could just call handle request and get the data. You could call like post to it and, and put data in it and it would manage the database. You would be able to do like server.schema and get at the ORM, but it's just like this little thing. Does Basically this... it becomes agnostic of who who is handling the routing, like the, the actual server. At that point, it's not really a server instance in the sense that it's no longer, the way to access it is not with uh, HTTP, it's like method calls. So so does this mean that someone could write like an adapter that you send like WebSocket requests mm -hmm. to this thing and then that Exactly, another thought Mirage. I had, because what people have done in the past is, let's say you write an Ember app with a backend and you're writing it just normal REST style. And so your Ember app makes a, an Ajax request and your server responds. And then you add WebSockets later. And a lot of times what people do is they have their server connect to WebSocket. And if there's an event they need to send to the client, they just take the event and it's the same shape of data that it would have been if they were responding to an Ajax request, but they just send it over the socket. Yep. So the data transport's the same. Let's say they're using JSON API. Let's say they're going to push it into a named model in Ember Data Store. All that stuff is the same. And so people do that and they want to test this WebSocket behavior. And you could use Mirage to do that. There's, there's nothing um, out of the box that will kind of wire it up for you. But if you get basically a mock WebSocket layer in there, you can define, again, it's just like how Pretender lets you mock out XML HTTP requests. These mock socket libraries can let you mock out WebSockets in the browser. And so what you do is you new up a fake WebSocket and then like on event, you can respond with whatever's in Mirage's database or something like that. But this, this what you're talking about here, this Mirage 1.0 push will give a clean API to that. Exactly, because in the mock layer, all they would do is just say um, like request. on event server, exactly, server.handle requests a get to slash posts. Whereas now they have to like dig into, you have to like schema.post.all, this.serialize it and like something like that. When what you really want to do is what would happen if I sent a GET request to my server? Something like that. Yeah. Cool. So pretty neat. It's like basically HTTP is like a great API if you have to do it. But, you know, I remember DHH talking about this um, when he was railing against services at one point. And he was like, people can complicate things because they force themselves to communicate over HTTP when they don't have to. And it's much easier to just send a message to an object than to than to use HTTP protocol when you don't have to <laughs> latency yeah yeah and, and just the format like if I have a server I would love to just call server.handle request and get a JSON back instead of like a new XHR you know what I mean and yeah. like dot send and this AC, you know all, all this all this stuff so um, if you have Mirage instance in wherever environment you're working 
then you can just call handle request on it and get your data or manipulate the server data. But it's still nice because you're manipulating it in that constrained way, like you still have the routes that you've defined. You know, another thing is this is something we've kind of talked about before, but you're also like this is forcing you to kind of like make Mirage's boundary. Yeah. Um, like push it down a layer. So yes. you're no longer handling like the uh, HTTP requests. You right. now have like it's now Mirage.handle request. Um, smaller core, you know, yes. you can let people make add-ons. Yes. If someone wants to make like a WebSocket thing, someone can come along and now make this yes. Mirage WebSocket. Service worker. So that kind of like opens up, you know, we, you have been, we talk about like how do you get more people involved in, yes. in projects and this feels like a good way. It's not, they have a well-defined API on both sides really, right. on the WebSocket side and on the um, Mirage side. Right, and if someone wants to make WebSocket support, they're not blocked by me. Yeah, because Mirage is not trying to do everything. It's like a smaller thing, right? Um, that, that, I mean, that must feel pretty good. Yeah, so. I think. I mean, we'll see. Like, if it would really. I mean, I guess the true test would be, would be. Can you make it as convenient as it is today, but get Pretender out of there, so that we would use Pretender, and we would use Pretender to define the route handlers. But all the logic of what happened when you hit a route would be like basically mirage.handle request or something like that. And that way, if someone is not using, someone is using fetch, they don't have pretender, they have fetch, but they can still install mirage and say on fake fetch, use mirage.handle request mm -hmm. or sockets or whatever. So yeah, that would be the real test if you could get something as convenient as that and basically abstract that part of it away. Um, or maybe there's an adapter pattern where you still have like your Mirage config that's like this.get, but like what does this.get mean? If you're in a browser typical environment, it means do uh, this.get with Pretender. If you're in WebSocket, it means like this.onEvent. If you're in um, Express, it means this.whatever. You know, it's weird. I can, I can imagine like this.get working in, in Express and Pretender and mm -hmm. Fetch, mm -hmm. but with WebSocket, it's kind of like, what does this dot get mean? It's yeah. I guess I guess you would map a WebSocket event to a route handler. So if I'm going to send like a payload over, and I have a naming scheme for my WebSockets, which is basically like creating a post, which is basically like post to slash post or something oh, yeah. like that, then I can just say I can delegate off to one of those existing nice. route handlers. Because let's say your route handler has some logic in it, right? That's mm -hmm. the idea. It's like that's what your server is exposing. Um, so that could be a possibility. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, you know, at Rails, you have the router, but then you also have like the controller, which is where the logic lives and then like active record with the schema stuff. And so like Mirage is kind of mirroring those pieces, but like if you can get the active record stuff, which is like, I just need to work with the schema sometimes and tests or whatever. And then like the controller part, which is really, really more like the route handlers, yep. like, like route handlers and Mirage are basically like controller methods in Rails. Yep. And then the routes file is this thing that needs to change. Like this routes file is like, I want to mount these two other pieces in different environments. Yep. So it's kind of interesting thinking about how we might be able to do that. Also, the other thing, this is moving closer towards, you know, you kind of talked about how Mirage was created for like the test environment and it ends up in development environment. And now it's an express. Yeah. And, you know, Pretty soon, I'm going to be able to, to write my Mirage config and press a button and have that be my production server. <laughs> I mean, I've resisted that for a long time just because 
I wanted to make sure the focus that stayed on like developer experience, but um, it certainly would be nice. I think even just, even if it's just like, this is for toy apps and like maybe one day it would be for like a subset of production apps, but like if you can get started with Ember and you can just Ember install Ember Sailor Mirage, build your thing locally and then you can just push and that would be it. It would basically like, even if you use like an SQLite database or something in there, or it just... See, I feel like that getting that deployed is like the big hurdle. Yeah. And then there's, once you have that working, there's so many optimizations yes. that can, in comparison, will yes. be the, the hard, the foundation is getting it deployed. Yeah, I really think, I mean, you definitely could do it though. I mean, it's just about... Dude, it'd be so amazing. When I, when I develop Ember apps, I do all the hard work in Mirage. Yeah. And then when I'm done, it's just I'm like just, copy pasting. Brain dead. Yeah. Just okay, what did I do in Mirage? Okay, now I know how that maps to Rails. Yeah. Um yeah. So yeah, there's not for the crud stuff, the you know, I use Mirage to like iron everything out and then yeah. Yep. I think we should experiment with it for sure. I, I think, think it'd be, fun. be so freaking cool. <laughs> uh I I mean honestly, especially as a teaching tool. To be able to to push something and have just a have a Ember app that has persistence, and that was it. It's one repo, all your server logic is there. Yep. Um, your tests are running against your server, your actual server, basically. Um, I mean, there's still some differences, but basically it is. Um, yeah. So that would be fun. I think I think all of this stuff. So the exciting thing about all this work is that it leads to all these things all the paths yeah yeah service worker express web sockets deploys can we run mirage on the, uh, the blockchain <laughs> with handle requests we might be able to <laughs> nice so as part of this work that we were doing we were tinkering around with broccoli because um mirage and all of its classes and all of the ember stuff that it usually runs within run on the client but to get all this stuff working, you need to basically, you want to basically require it in the nodes environment and new it up there. So add-ons, which Ember Mirage is an add-on, have a hook called server middleware, right? Yes. Yep. And that's in index.js. And that gives you access to the express server instance, which is running alongside Ember. And that's what takes care of like proxying. If you ever run like Ember serve dash dash proxy, or if you create mocks um, using Ember's Ember CLI's generators. And I mean, it's a, it's a thing that serves the index.html when you right. visit localhost 4200. Right, right. And your tests and it's doing all that work. So it's the actual web server behind what powers Ember CLI. So you have an opportunity to manipulate that either from your app or add-ons can manipulate the host apps Express server, and this would be the path that Ember Mirage would Mirage would take if it was going to make this work. So when we were fiddling around with this, that was kind of like at a high level. What are the steps we are trying to accomplish here? Um, if I can go to uh, Mirage's server middleware hook, and I can, you know, require all of the the, the server code. And in Mirage, there's one file add-on slash server.js, which basically is the entry points, like the main file. And in the initializer that runs in the Ember environment, it, it, it imports that as an ES6 import and then news it. And basically that's your server global. And it doesn't live in the container. 
it could, but right, it just never made it there. But um, that's that's how you get the instance of the Mirage server, which is what you interact with in tests and everywhere. So that needs to happen in Node for that to happen. So in Node, we require instead of import, which means like, and that works with modules of a certain format, which is not what we're used to using as Ember developers. So you have like an ES6 module that has like import Ember, you know, component from Ember slash component, export default component.extend. That's what we write every day. In Node, it's CommonJS, which looks very different. And I know I didn't write any Node before getting into add-ons. And basically my Node experience comes from like Ember CLI and Ember, and, and Ember add-ons. So I don't have a really strong foundation there. But it's just a different format. You know, you require, I'm sure, you know, people have seen that where you require like, um, if you open up your Ember CLI build file, you'll see something where you require an Ember app. You can require broccoli plugins and manipulate your build there. So ideally you want to be able to basically require Mirage slash add-on slash server.js, but you can't do that because it's not a common JS module, it's an ES6 module. So there is this, this library we were working with that um, John Dalton wrote, it's called ESM, and the idea is he's the author of Lodash, super popular uh, module on NPM. It can take an ES6 class and turn it into a common JS class. So nice. Um, that way you can share the code. So the code is still needed. Well, if you were going to use it on the client, you still want it there. And we want to author an ES6, but to be able to consume it in Node in this format would be great. So ideally what you want to do at a high level, what you're trying to do is turn this thing into NPM, CommonJS style modules, require it all, and then you have access to that code. You can run it like you need to you actually call require, which like is the same as kind of importing it so that you can just new it up. And now you can just do new server and now you have an instance of the Mirage server and you can you can go to town. You know, it's funny when you describe the steps, it's like, yeah, that's so easy. Like you're outlining every step. And I remember when we were doing this, it was just like all these little, like a death by a thousand paper cuts. So the first problem we ran into was we didn't even know about ESM and we didn't know about ESM until we posted on the discuss forums and, and yeah. Ed Faulkner chimed in. What were we, we were trying so to So our first approach was this. So this is, this is a thing where, um, in Brock, so what happens is you run Ember serve and Broccoli is going to build your app and that's when Node is doing all of its requires and all this stuff. So what our strategy was is, okay, Let's find a hook in the build process, like tree for app, tree for add-on, tree for JS. And <clears throat> you want to use a broccoli plugin to read the Mirage files off of disk and then, um, and then um, use broccoli to use rollup, a rollup broccoli plugin, which existed to roll those things up and output them in a common JS for format. So, so rollup does a similar thing to ESM in the sense that it can read in a graph of ES6 modules and then output it output it either as a single file or um, they can output it as like a, a common JS formatted file. So, um, but its main focus is to do that, roll up a bunch of ES6 modules using the static imports. So what we wanted to do was read those off of disk, use rollup, write them to a new location such that when we got to the server middleware hook, they would be available inside of the build at that time. Now the broccoli build moves through stages and you write plugins that manipulate those trees, which are like those managed directories. You know, and we talk about this in, in the series on Ember map, 
but the idea is like you can think of it as like a bunch of promises because all this stuff takes time now the hardest part that we ran into just the hardest part about working with this stuff is the the hooks themselves um understanding what hook is what what's for each hook also not being able to just like return a promise and do like dot then i mean that's not the api right you have a tree for app it takes a tree and then you can pass that tree to many broccoli hooks and then return it but the order in which the hooks run and what's available when is tough it's not as simple as just like promises are great like if everything could be a dot then and you can just see what happens next it would have been simpler but we were trying to guess which combination of two hooks would let us first do all of this work read it in using rollup and then second um, sorry, read it in using Rollup and write it using CommonJS, and then a later hook that would let us read it in from CommonJS using require and then new it up in that server hook. Yeah. And we a, were having trouble. A later hook that was not like setting up the build, but a later hook that that previous hook had built its files. Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the areas where we were just... So we were just trying to do different things and... You know, the, the, again, the PR where someone had basically put this together used some lower level broccoli APIs where you create a builder around some location and you can call it builder.build.then. And that was kind of nice because you could actually imagine that being a nicer story for debugging and just understanding what's happening. But because the build process is kind of obfuscated behind a lot of the hooks and the hooks aren't, we don't understand them and the documentation is, is sparse there. Um, it was tough. Now, someone now, if we were going down that road and we're, we're using like broccoli to build uh, this roll up thing, does that mean that like it's almost like building, like creating a broccoli inside of broccoli? Like, is there like a, an inception thing going on here where you're like creating a new broccoli? Oh, the builder out build thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was what worried me about that approach because I don't think I think the idea is. You have everything you need in some of these input trees. Like you have the input trees that are coming from the source of your app, and you can just you can just read from like this .project.root, and you can just grab files from source from root from disk. And um, but you want to return them um, like using merge trees and merging trees together. And so yeah, the builder build thing felt like it was going outside of that. So I didn't want to do that. That's why I wanted to figure out how to use it with taking a tree and returning one or many trees to get what we needed. But the weird thing was, and this is kind of what started making sense to me when I was thinking about it after we stopped and um, after Ed's suggestion to use ESM, and that was that the reason you, you want to typically use broccoli to take source files on disk and write out files on disk, right? Because that's how broccoli works. Like it writes things to an output path and you want to do that because then they get bundled together and like shipped to the client. So you would run like your Ember components through Babel and end up with like AMD modules that are going to get concatenated and shipped to the client and require using require.js on the client. But in this case, we just wanted to read the Mirage source files and so that we could use them in Node. So there was no real reason to ever write the, the transformed ones to disk. So other than to get them again. So you would like transform it and then kind of like eval that code or exactly like require. require it. And that's exactly what basically Ed was suggesting with ESM is that just wherever you need them, just read them there and require it all of that in one step. 
So, so Rollups API is, um, you know, input files and then output files or input files and a single output file. Mm-hmm. Is ESMs like input files and then actual JavaScript objects? Like, or does it? Yeah. Okay. ESM, ESM tries to make actually that whole process transparent. So, you know, in. So you can like require yeah. an ES, yes. ES6 file. Yes. So you actually override require. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so that is that is exactly what we want. We right. want to say like we know these Mirage files are on disk. Yep, they're just written in ES6. Please let us require them. Yep, because I need them in Node memory. That's the difference. I want them in memory. Whereas like an Ember component, I just want the file so that the like Uglifier and Concatenator can do their thing on it and then serve it to the browser. Yep. What? Where? Where are you now with this? So now, when I installed ESM and started trying this, basically um, requiring the server file, that root server file from Mirage, uh, like failed. And that's because there was other packages that it was depending on and things that files within Mirage were doing that were only gonna work in a browser. So the first example was um, in an Ember add-on, you can say, you know, in ES6, you can use relative imports and absolute imports. So you have server and you need to import has many from like association slash has many. So you can import dot slash association slash has many. And that'll use a relative path. But you can also use an absolute path. And we use that a lot of places in Mirage's source code for files deep in the tree that in, in the directory structure that we want to move around a lot. And it was annoying to use relative paths. I'm sure people have run into this like dot dot slash dot dot. Exactly, slash. exactly. So especially in tests, we do that a lot. And so um, we would do just import from and then string embercy mirage slash test slash helper. So it's an absolute path, but it's starting with embercy mirage. So one of the big things that's different between the browser side and the require semantics and nodes require semantics with common JS modules is that you can't do an absolute path lookup from the current module. So if you're authoring a module called you know my module, you can't import from my module slash foo.js in node. But in Ember, like, or in require.js, basically whatever environment that's at the end of the whole Ember CLI build pipeline, which I think it's just, basically it's the same as require.js require yeah. semantics. AMD. AMD, you can use the current package name as a beginning of an absolute path. So there's a couple places where we were importing from Ember CLI Mirage slash some file, and we couldn't do that anymore. That was blowing up ESM. So what happens is you try to require Mirage server with ESM and it says like we can't find that path because it's and expect that thing to be a package like a dependency yep. and it's going to look in node modules but it's actually the current project. So basically with nodes resolver uh, you want to import from the current project relative URL yes. so you want to import from a dependency, dependency. absolutely exactly URLs. yep the, is the answer to this you you doing some like like require hacks to like switch it or or are you just going to change mirage to always use yeah i just i just went there and changed it and fortunately i only had to change i only had to change um the files under add-on and the biggest part where we were using the absolute lookup was in tests so i didn't have to touch any of those which was good because we don't need to run the tests when you're requiring the in server instance in node right um so it actually wasn't that big of a deal. Like it was just changing like, you know, six or seven files, something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing, basically I was just running into things that were like inconsistent and not working. 
by the way, I think the answer there is to just use relative paths for current modules just so that your ES6 modules can play nice in Node. Like it's just, that's just the semantics of Node for better or for worse right now. And so it's best to just do that so that you eliminate those differences between the environments. Um, then the next step that I'm still working through is like the stuff that's dependent from Ember. So like Mirage is using string helpers from Ember, like Dasherize and underscore or Camelize, all that stuff. And it's also using inflections, which is like how to um, pluralize or singularize things. And the string helpers like uh, Dasherize and Camelize, there was, there was some of those that I just used from Lodash because we already depend on Lodash and there's a lot of that logic that's just taken care of. So I just switched those out and I got the test passing there. And it's nice because I can go through and like make these changes and run Mirage's test suite, which is running in the browser, but that tells me that Mirage is going to work in the browser still. But once I get those changes made and I can require it in Node, then we can play around with it in Node. Yep. So it's kind of cool. Um, this, is, this is a situation where testing just pays off huge. Oh my gosh, because just... all of the little ways that, you know, if I'm changing from ember.string.plural, I mean, I already ran into this a few times, but like ember.string.camelcase treats things differently than lodash's camel case. So like you have to kind of write a new little wrapper function and make sure you're not breaking the API of that. Um, like it didn't use, it didn't actually, one of them removed slashes and the other one left it, something like that. So paths were screwed up for yes. like um, children models, something like that. But we have tests for all that stuff. So that's really good. Um, I couldn't imagine doing this without tests, obviously it would be crazy. <laughs> um, so the next thing is the inflection stuff, which is tough because that's actually a part where you do cross the boundary as an Ember developer. If you've customized your Ember data stuff to treat, you know, plural of sheep as sheep or something that that the default stack doesn't know about. Where where I've run into this past in the past with like media yeah. and uh, data. Like yeah. data and datum. Yeah. So um, if you want slash datum or whatever, um, or the type, like the type in the JSON. Yeah, basically if you're gonna use a singular version that's not irregular and you configure it, then um, you wanna do that and you want like Mirage's shorthands to respect that and data to respect that. And so now Node needs to know about that, but it's not gonna be able to get that from the Ember environment because when you configure an Ember inflector, you're doing it in like app.js, right? Which is when your Ember app initializes right. on the client. But now all this Mirage stuff is running the server, so it, we're gonna have to figure out some way there to share those uh, rules. Yeah, maybe like, you know, you redefine them for Mirage, that sucks. I mean, it'd be nice if there could just be like an inflections.js file that exports a POJO yeah. and then like anyone can use it. Something something, something like that, Yeah, you know? Um, we could even like, yeah, there's a couple of things we could do. We could, we could like s somehow at build time, run your Ember app and like read from the container and look inspect what the inflections map is something like that. Um, so we can so we'll figure out something for that um, inflections map, but that's that's basically where we're at right now. I've I've a something I thought of and I think it goes nicely here. So in like every you know more complicated app I built using Mirage, I, I noticed that my Mirage config relies on browser JavaScript. So I maybe, um, you know, it's an example might be like importing jQuery and using 
Actually, I've never done that. In Russian fig? But there was stuff I was looking at. Um, like Ember Helpers? Yeah, that's a great one. Ember Helpers, little like Transforms. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe like, maybe like um, using uh, document create element A with like a ref mm. to like parse the URL. Right, right. Like just little things like that. But I have noticed that... Um, when we were doing this, I was looking through a bunch of Mirage configs, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to rethink that yep. if this is going to run in Node. Yes. And so I wonder if, if part of this is also, like, you know, figure out a migration path when, you know, if your Mirage config is a few hundred lines, you probably have some browser stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, just it's more like, again, it's more like the stuff, all, all even the stuff that, that I've been fixing you know, this, the Ember string stuff and the inflection stuff is one thing, but there's, yeah, there's just there's just uh, stuff that was in Mirage that I've been removing that I didn't, wasn't aware of because I'm developing and testing Mirage in a browser environment. Yeah. So I absolutely think there's going to be stuff like that. Another one, cookies. Like yeah, I have exactly. one, yes. one app that inspects cookies. Yep. And yep. Document so, dot cookie. Exactly. Yep. So I think the answer there is going to be once we get it working, we'll have to do a build time check of your config. So if you opt in, and there, of course there's gonna be like, this is not gonna be something that just breaks everyone's Mirage apps. Like Mirage will continue to work in the browser. This will be something that people can opt into, say, I want to walk, run Mirage in an express environment. And maybe in the future it'll be a default, but there'll be options there. And like, it's still hard for a lot of people to have, um, one of the main reasons people use Mirage in the beginning was to, to run their test suite in their CI environment. So I still think even if we snapped our fingers and this was done, there's still plenty of valid use cases for running Mirage in the in the client, like mocking out Ajax XML HTTP requests. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just debugging is so much easier right. in the client. Right. Like having right. to use Server no dot. debugger and yep. everything. Just, yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So uh, I think what we'll do is once Mirage's source code works in Node, and all of the normal Mirage APIs do, um, then we'll have to do like a try catch basically. And what we'll do is we'll try to require no require Mirage and then run the host apps config, read in the host apps model definitions, all of that stuff. And if something blows up, then it just won't pass the require step. And unless it happens at runtime, like it's yeah, like runtime and route handler, handler exactly. Um, but um, like we'll just have to add good error handling there. Like um, your yeah, the Mirage middleware was handling this request and something happened. Um, so um, that'll be something that folks will definitely have to go through. But that's just the nature of it. Like your Mirage server now needs to be able to run in multiple environments, so it's gonna it's more constrained than it was before. But I think we can be helpful there. So, and yeah, the last benefit we didn't even mention was that you get to test your fast boot apps. Yeah. So but, I if, mean, this is one of the main. Yeah, things it's one of the main things. It. So like, you start writing fast boot, and okay, you just deploy it, and it's literally basically untested. I mean, it's basically untested, right? I mean, you have tests for your Ember app, and you're running your Ember app, but you're running it in such a different environment, as we've seen, as you know, with our experience. Basically, is another app, and it's basically untested. Yeah, what I've done in the past is I I have a like fastboot test folder that spins up an Express app, builds the Ember app, loads that freshly built Ember app into like a fastboot instance, and then pings that with requests and checks the response. Mm. But it is sharing; it is only the Ember app. It is not sharing any uh, testing stuff and right. no Mirage. Right, and so I end up like duplicating 
First of all, I end up not wanting to duplicate code, so the tests I write are just super high level, like just scratching Sanity the service. Check. Yeah, like <laughs> does the site not five hundred? Right. Um, so so it is like, yeah. This is I'm super excited for this. Yeah. So this it, would be this would be another benefit, even if you um, even if you want to keep your development experience and your testing experience exactly the same, being able to run your test suite against um, yeah fastboot would be awesome. And we should be able to make it so that, I guess, um, I guess it would be a new it would be a new suite of tests, right? Because you're not your acceptance test suite uh, is testing behavior. Yeah, yeah. In addition to initial render, right. whereas the fast suite test suite would just be initial render. So maybe there's a new. If I'm thinking, if we were to start going down this path with EmberMap, what we would do is probably have like a folder under acceptance that would be like initial renders or something like that, and it's just. You know, rendering the initial page. You know, given I'm a subscriber, what does the homepage look like? Given I'm an anonymous user, what is this? And it's just a visit. It's just like setting up the data and visit, and then you could run those in Ember, and you could run those in Fastboot. Yeah, yeah. So that would be pretty sweet. And you can just tell Fastboot test uh, suite to just uh, run wait, everything that, under acceptance slash initial page renders or whatever. That's interesting. So you would, I just that just clicked. So you would still run these tests on the the client. I guess if. Every request was being served by Fastboot. The Ember app, well, the Ember app does still render. Do the yeah, it render. does. It, it, re- clears, it the clears the page. thing, and one day or, it'll rehydrate. Well, it does. There is a, a you can enable rehydration now. Oh, really? Yeah, but still rehydration. Still, it's you still, still want em- this test. Right, here. You still want this test. You still want to know that yeah, because actually, because the difference. Remember, you're not going to run Fastboot if you click a link and see a page. Right. So you do want to know that Ember renders the same way Fastboot renders. Right. So this is a, that's interesting. That's a good test. Yeah. It's just, it's just the initial render of my app works when Fastboot's trying to render it and it works if slash when the client's trying to okay. render it. And it's just, you're just getting rid of the behavior because Fastboot never does any of that stuff. So, so I, so I imagine there won't be many of these tests. No, and I think having, like one for each route and having Mirage to help writing them, they'll be super simple. It's super like simple. Create create a blog post with a bunch of comments, visit the blog post page, and then assert that like these three test selectors show up. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So um but that would give us so much more confidence, imagine, being <laughs> able to change all that and having your fast boot test pass. No, I, I enjoy deploying the app and then immediately going to the website <laughs> to make sure everything works. <laughs> Looking at the Roku logs and just seeing, oh, there's something's happening with Node there. <laughs> you gotta live, man. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, just having talked through all this and having it taken us basically an hour here, um, there's a lot here, and it seems like it's a worthwhile effort. You know, um, it seems like it's basically like if you think about what's next most important in Mirage, um, or what would have the biggest impact in our development flow and possibly others. This is a big, big big part of it yeah this goes this place nicely with like a bigger picture thing i've been thinking thinking of where it's like you want to write uh, a template that you can render anywhere mm-hmm. and you know javascript is kind of perfect for this and being able to run your ember app on the server or or on the client and not really having to think about like where this thing is running just right. writing a template is is amazing it's huge um and getting getting more stuff that can be run in both these environments and i'm not i'm not like 
I'm not talking about like this argument of like, oh, you want to use the same models everywhere. Right. Because you do have different concerns right. on the server and on the client. But having, I think templating is yeah. one where you want that to be portable. Well, I just, you know, I just, today we did, I did a PR to Embermap where you just curly curly if user is anonymous, say welcome to Embermap on the homepage. And now that's going to end up in the cache. We're going to have three new versions of the cache. And you can open up the cache and look at the HTML response that Fastboot's going to be serving up. And it's just going to have that HTML there for anonymous people. And I wrote that with Handlebars template. That's awesome. It's like basically using Handlebars to build like Rails views, essentially, it's, except it's my Ember view. And you never have to think. I never like thought about what it. What state is, is where is like the user in the lifecycle of this application? Is it server rendered, client rendered? It just, yeah. none of that matters. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Have you gotten the cache viewer to, to show HTML yet, by the way? Um, <laughs> so no. yeah. Yes, but I, I changed our caching strategy and I finished it like the other night at like 11 p.m. Okay. And I was like, I'm not deploying this okay. until 11 p.m. Wait, so you, oh, you did get it working. So for anyone listening, so for listeners, why don't you just do a quick rundown of what's going on? So there's so much. Quick. So <laughs> yeah, there's so much. So, so we use Node to render fast boot apps and cache the resulting HTML and, and then store we, it in Redis. And store it in Redis. But we're using we, Node to put that string into Redis, and by default, Node stores strings as. No, we were. I was using like a Node caching library, yep. and it just the way that it got the like the response that you were sending down to the browser and storing it. It was combining like a string with a binary buffer. And then the way you got access to that was like, these were all like implementation details of yeah. the caching library. Yeah. And I realized like our caching strategy isn't that hard. Yeah. Our caching strategy is just if Fastboot gives you a 200, cache that response. Yeah. So um, I was able to rewrite that. It's oh, about okay. 100 lines of, oh, of cool. node code. You love hacking node. I, it's like a new it's, world for you. It's 10 years of Rails development. <laughs> now you feel like you're free. You Finally like free. It's like, you hate yourself and love yourself at that the same time. That is so true. That is the best way to describe it. Um, I'm just like flying. And you're you like, know that like you this can code just... is not going to last <laughs> yeah. me two months. <laughs> so you built something into Embermaps UI um, that lets us look at our cache. So yeah. I can go to Embermap.com as an admin. You and I can. And we can visit and we can view the cache. Yes. We can pull up the awesome. cache and we can see the cache for different roles. So... What is the what does the cache look like for a subscriber? What does it look like for a user? It's actually a problem I'm running into where where you view the cache and it's like a payload from Fastboot. Uh -huh. So if you start viewing that in a browser, the Ember app is gonna like start running. Oh, <laughs> so 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 I. Oh, you because you, you iframed it. Yeah, because oh, you're gonna iframe it. It's gonna it. actually read in like head with all the, so the scripts Script and everything. And so you see the cache for like an anonymous user. But then the Ember app starts running in your browser. Oh my gosh! And you're that's... an admin, and so it starts repaying the pages <laughs> in admin. So, so my next. This is what I'm working. Oh, on that's next. funny. Yeah. So I'm gonna do something. This is actually like. It's um, really funny. I want to have a thing you set like a global, like window dot. Um, Can you strip the, the the source tags? The yeah, script, script yeah, tags you could, them? but, but, but. Okay, what's the let me tell way? you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to have a, a like a, a window thing that just tells Fastboot not to take over, and this, tells Ember not to take over. To takes yes, yeah, it yeah. Tells, exactly it tells yeah. Ember not defer to defer readiness. Over. Exactly, defer readiness and just let that sit for a promise. Yeah, and this is going to be helpful for debugging Fastboot responses. So I could like flip that thing on, 
and then I could just visit like in development mode, visit my site in in fast boot oh. and just never have the Ember app take over. Oh, because cool. that, that lets me inspect the HTML, see what's oh, coming cool. out of fast okay. boot. So All I was right. like, All right. I was like, Hey, this, this would have been helpful before. Right. And then it'd also be helpful now. Cause a lot of times you like reload the page and you're just like, okay, it looks good. And the Ember app takes over. Right, right, right. But now this, yeah. So I'm something That's cool. Now there would be other JavaScripts that would load. Like if you were including like Google maps and stuff, so you might want a mode where you strip out all you JavaScript. You strip out all, jo- all the script tags. Or yeah. you, if you could just, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that you can do that's like, don't run JavaScript. That's not, that doesn't involve you like going to settings of Chrome and disabling JavaScript. <laughs> I guess you could do that, but. It would be nice if there was like a frame Part of the UI, yes. Like, because you're iframing it, if there was like a Node.js. Render this as a browser with Node.js or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, iframe, right, iframe Node.js. Yeah, it's exactly what you want, iframe with, with JS. And then also, T, you want to like overlay it. iframe with modern web dev equals I hate her. (laughs) iframe with blue links, exactly. (laughs) iframe with blue links equals true. (laughs) You know, there's some Rails developer out there now that's like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. That's pretty awesome. Well, um, get on that so we can inspect our cache values, make sure we're not serving people. Because there has been a couple of times, there's some interesting things that happen. Oh, well, fast boot. There are situations will. where fast boot can respond with a 200 and, and a an, malformed and the, HTML. Well, it can respond with 200 and a stack trace. So that's another <laughs> thing that we have to, uh, dude, when I say that fast boot is like <laughs> the ha- best and worst technology, when I say it's like halfway use. there, there's like, there's just, it's so great. Why does, how these, does that happen? Let's just go walk through this again. 200 with a stack trace. How is this possible? You can, you can so you can get the malformed HTML, and I think, I think you have to. I haven't done enough debugging here, but I think that Fastboot can render a stack trace, and then that thing starts going up back through Express, and Express is like, "Hey, it's a 200. No one, to, no one's told me this I thing see. is a 500." Right, because the number app is rendering a stack. Yeah, yeah it's, it's rendering something, <laughs> and then right. So we've had that. We had that happen. I was like, "Oh yeah, we'll just only cache 200s." <laughs> Little and then, like know. three days later, someone's like, "Hey, I'm getting a 500 request, <laughs> 500 error response." I'm like, eh. seems wrong. Yeah. Oh man. All right. I think with that we should wrap it. Um, uh, so thanks for joining us this week. Now we didn't have time for questions this week, but we usually answer questions. And um, if you want to ask questions, you should come to Topic Ember Map on the Ember JS Community Slack. That's where. There's been more people in there asking questions lately, um, yeah. Tailwind questions and, and other stuff, which is cool. Um, we've been railing on Tailwind enough that people were just like forcing people to use it just through <laughs> sheer force of will, so that's kind of exciting. Um, but if you have questions about anything, that's a great place to reach us. And um, Our private Slack. Our private Slack. If you're a subscriber, make sure you get into that. And we chat about all sorts of stuff in there. And you can always email us at info at embermap.com or send us a tweet. So if you have questions, we'll definitely make sure to do some Q&A next episode, and we will see you next week.